It's good to be with you all. I'm Dave Mitchell. I'm... Wow, what an unexpected, pleasant surprise. You can do that more often now. Listen, excited to be with you today. I uh, uh, had an interesting experience yesterday. There was a few of us here in this room uh, who had that experience as well. But uh, I rode, uh, and Ron Rogowski and I were partners in riding our bicycles from Irvine to San Diego in the Amtrak uh, Century Ride. We actually rode 101 miles together. And uh, it really helps to illustrate what we want to talk about. We're better together because when I get behind Ron, and Ron is a much better biker than I am. He's a lot faster than I am. It just shows his humble, submissive heart that he stays with me and doesn't just leave me behind. And so he rode off, and I was a much faster rider because I rode with Ron, and it makes us always better together. We also saw Martin Eaton out there. We saw Rudy out there. These people are amazing Better together, Martin had his son James. James is this young boy, and they left at, I don't mind me saying, at 12.30 in the morning to get down there at 3.30 in the afternoon in San Diego. And what a tremendous team as they trained, trying to raise funds, really, for helping out uh, in ministries, the Orange County, Orange County Rescue Mission, our student ministries as well. And it's amazing as we get together like there that we become better as we do these things together and partners in this. Individually, it's hard to do these things. But as you have a team of people, it's an amazing thing. As we got to the end in San Diego, there you're on the pier. There's USS Nimitz that is there. You're right on the water. And as we stood there, we were so hot and sweaty uh, I saw Rudy had jumped in off the pier into the water. It's like 10 or 15 feet down. And then Ron jumped off the water, off the pier and into the water. And I said, well, I should do that as well. So I jumped in as well. And then as you're climbing out this metal ladder that is there, there's this sign that you can only read as you're climbing up. And I don't remember exactly the wording, but it said something about a federal offense to jump into the water here. <laughs> and so it made me realize that sometimes you're really not better together. Just watch out who you're together with, because they may mislead you into federal crimes. And so we may be taken away here this morning. I don't know. But it's exciting to be able to do those things and be better together. I'm just a little fatigued this morning, so if I fall asleep, somebody need to come up here and finish this message. I appreciate that. When this, speaking of the message, you have an outline that is available. We encourage you to use that to follow along. I wanted to begin with something significant about today. What is significant about today? You may think about what that is. Today is the first Sunday of NFL. Yeah. And thank you that you're here. You're not at home watching the second half of some football game. But I want us to be able to understand this. And so I bring up this couple, Evan and Olivia Rodriguez. Evan is an NFL player. Uh, he's a free agent right now looking to get on with a team. But you can see he's a big guy and big heart. And what struck me is Joy sent me a story about them just this last week. Well, Evan and Olivia became pregnant. And she has this little baby. And as they began to do some exams on this little baby, they realized that this little baby does not have a brain and is missing parts of the skull. And so it's devastating for a brand new set of parents to hear such hard news about their child. So what do they do? 
the doctor says, well, why don't you abort? And Evan and Olivia are Christians committed to Christ. And for them, the decision that was right for them, they said, is to keep that baby until birth. And Evan put it this way. I said, I have a faith in the Lord. And I don't know what this journey is going to look like. I don't know how long this little baby is going to live. It's a little girl. And they named the little girl, even in the womb, they named the little girl Sky. Because they knew that when that baby is born, that baby will rise in the sky to be with Jesus. And so they lived out that pregnancy together. And they are committed because Evan said, this is my daughter. I am her father. And even though she is imperfect, it doesn't mean I stop loving her and caring for her. And I love that imagery, that family metaphor that we're going to look at today. Because the image of today is that we have a Father in heaven who looks at you and me and our imperfections, our disabilities of heart, mind, will, and body. As we will rebel and resist. But the Father in heaven, like Evan to his little sky, says, even though that's the way you are, I want to love you to the very end. So let's talk about that. We're in the book of Ephesians. And as we look at the very first verses of this book, this city that is in what we call Turkey today, Asia Minor in those days. And I love these opening verses that Paul gives to the Ephesians, and he gives it to us as well. 2,000 years ago, he writes this in a prison cell. And he says, I want to say good things about God. In a prison cell, he says, I want to say good things about God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. This is a rich, rich verse, passage, that in some ways, as I go through with this, there are going to be some of us that can say, no, I can't really believe that. It's too hard for me in my mindset to understand that this is what God is doing. But that's what we're going to do today. Let me take it piece by piece. What Paul is saying at the outset and what he wants us to be able to do is to say good things about our Father. Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's what he's saying in the very first verse. He says, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you're a student of the Word, and you see one word that is repeated three times in one verse, that should be a big flag that says, think about that. Look into that. What is he saying by that? Because he says, blessed be the Father, blessed be us, blessings in all the heavenly places are ours. And so this word for blessed is a wonderful Greek word. A couple of Greek words that are used in this case it is this word called eulogos and the word you means good or well and legeo is the greek verb for to say or logos is the greek word noun for word and sometimes you see bookstores named logos or other terms or computer work that is like that 
But together, the word blessed is literally the word to say good things. We get our English word eulogy from it. A eulogy is where we gather together at the memorial service and we eulogize. We say good things about our dear, beloved friend. And this is a eulogy that usually in the memorial service is about someone who's died. This, this morning, is a eulogy about someone who lives, God the Father in heaven. And so Paul is saying to us, I want you to give a eulogy and say good things about the Father who is in heaven. Now remember, Paul is saying, I want you to say good things about the Father who now has me in a prison cell held against my will as I write this letter to you. So he's incarcerated illegally and unfairly. And in that cell, he's not saying, hey, I want you to pray to get me out of this. This is just not fair. Where is God when, he need, when I need him? He's saying, no, I want you to say good things about the Father. Because Paul's mind is not about him in prison. Paul's mind is about God the Father and his work in his life and our lives. And so what is he saying to us? He says, I want you to say good things about him because he's given you every spiritual blessing. And every time I pray and say, God, would you bless me in this? Would you bless me in that? Would you bless our church in this? I know the Father knows what I mean, but what the Father is saying in this verse, what Paul is trying to describe for us, is I want you to say good things about the Father who has blessed us. I want you to say good things about the Father who is saying good things about us because He has given us good things on earth, which are those spiritual blessings, and we already have them. And so the Father would say to me when I say, God bless me, and this is, you don't need to ask me, Dave. I've already given them to you. You have every spiritual blessing. It's sort of like looking at the Christmas tree at Christmas. And you see all these presents underneath it, and every present has your name on it. They are yours. You don't need to ask for them. They are yours. All you need to go is unwrap it and receive it. And God says, every spiritual blessing has your name on it. They are yours. You simply need to know what they are and receive them. So say good things about the Father because of that. Now, every time I talk about this kind of a topic, I know what happens in some of our minds. Some of us have earthly fathers that were not very good fathers. They were absentee, they were cruel, they were abusive, they were autocratic, authoritative, ultra-disciplinarians. And for whatever reason, now we have a very poor view of our own earthly father. And what happens is that translates to the Father in heaven. And it becomes sort of a mental block to us to really love that he can love me that much. Because look at my earthly father, and that image that is cast against God is, is it's, it's an obstacle. So I get that. And we want to talk about that as we proceed through these things in the weeks ahead. But I want us to understand that that loving father has given to us every spiritual blessing. And what are those spiritual blessings? Here's one of them. That God has chosen us. He's chosen us. Here's verse 4. Just as He, the Father in heaven, chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Now, there's a lot here. Let me break it down. Our Father chose us. So when did He choose us? It says in the Scripture, before the foundation of the world. He, he chose us before Genesis 1. He chose us before He created Adam and Eve. He chose us before He put the sun and the stars in the sky. He chose us before He threw down the earth and created as we live in it today. And we say to ourselves, how in the world could He have done that? That seems unimaginable. And it's true. But I'm not going to take 
my mindset that says that that's too hard for me to believe and shrink down God so I can make it make sense to me. Simply because I have a hard time believing something is true doesn't make that thing untrue. It's true. I need to choose to believe it. So before God created Adam and Eve, he knew Dave Mitchell. And he knew you. And he says, Dave, I have chosen you. John and Joe Mitchell, my parents, are going to give birth to you in 1951. And yes, I am that old. And there is the day that you come and breathe your first breath. But that's not the day I chose you. I chose you before I even made the world. I know all who are my own. I have chosen them. So that's a beautiful thing to realize how powerful, how knowledgeable, how much in control our Father in Heaven is of this world. Even though there are times we say, God, where are you? Why don't you show up in the situation? He says, I'm in control of all those things. I'm selecting you. And why did he choose us? So that we can be holy and blameless before him in love. He says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be blameless. Some of us live a shame-filled life where we never can believe that someone would love me as much as I need to be loved. Some people don't get married. Some people resist God because they just think, if you knew who I was, you would never want to love me. You don't realize all the flaws of my life. That Colossians 1 puts it this way. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet or but, God has now reconciled you in Jesus' fleshly body through His death on that cross. Why? In order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, why did God choose Dave Mitchell? Why did God choose you? He didn't choose us or me because I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm going to be the handsomest guy in the room. I'm going to be able to ride the fastest end to San Diego on Saturday. God didn't choose me because I'm going to be the richest, the most gifted person in the world. And God could not possibly do his ministry unless he had me on his side. So therefore, he chose me. God didn't choose me or you for any good reason of any good thing or any good quality that we may or may not have. Because when God saw Dave Mitchell or he saw you, God saw us as alienated, hostile, engaged in evil deeds. So when He chose us, we were already against Him. No one seeks after God, Romans 3. We're very hostile in our thoughts. We grow up evil. We don't have to be trained to sin. We don't have to be trained to disobey our parents when we're kids. It comes naturally because there's a hostility and a rebellion and a resistance to God. And so God says, even though you are that way, I still choose you. And that's the beauty of God's love. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act and then choose us. He chooses us or chose us as filthy as we were and are at times in our evil deeds. Why? So that we could become holy and blameless beyond reproach. God says, that's, that's how much I love you. So I'm going to, for a lifetime, work in and through you to empower you to live a holy and blameless life. I raise you up for that purpose. That's why God did that. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in John 6, 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. I know that the Father has chosen certain people. And all that he has chosen, they will come and I will bring them to the Father. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I never reject anyone. I don't care how evil your deeds are. I don't reject you, Jesus says. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing. I will never turn anyone away. I will never take one into my family, adopt them to become my child, and then say, you know what? You're just too tough a case to work on. I'm going to move on. He didn't do that. But I raise it up in the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father does the drawing. The Father does the choosing. The Father does the saving. It's the Father God in heaven that has caused you and me, who are followers of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus today. Not because we're good, we're wonderful, we're rich, we're talented, we're skilled, we're good looking, we have all these gifts, we have all this education, I've got all these degrees. None of that means anything to God. God chooses us or chose us before in our evilness so that he could then draw us to himself because he didn't want to share the glory. He wants it all to himself. And that is the greatness of our God. And he will raise us up in the last day. Let me, let me illustrate a little bit. One of the things I've not talked too much, and I mean, I've talked about it at all here, is over the last two years, Joy and I invited my niece, my sister's daughter, to live with us. And the reason we invited Alexis to live with us is because she became pregnant about two, a little over two years ago. And so she was struggling, now what do I do? She's unmarried. It's one of those things that happens. And so Joy went over to Phoenix where she was living, and Joy and I had talked about this and said, Joy said to Alexis, if you will keep this baby, adopt out this baby, you can then come and live with us. We will take care of you. And Alexis, hearing that, broke down and bawled. You do that? Yes. So she moved in with us. For two years she lived with us. And I'm here to tell you, without going into any kind of details, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And it was an amazing journey together and has been, continues to be. For nine months of her pregnancy, what a blessed thing to be around a pregnant, difficult person with hormones raging. And I'm trying to be delicate because I know I'm going to sound like I'm anti-women or something. I don't know. But I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was a struggle. And... Finally, the day came that she was ready to give birth, and we took her to the hospital. Gave birth. And I can't tell you how difficult that day was that she left the hospital. She got in our car, and we drove off with her. And that little girl that she gave birth to went home with another family. And what a painful, painful day. Week, months that followed. And it created great challenges for us as we worked with her and just, oh, just unbelievable. So over the course of that time, it was an open adoption. So Alexis and we, we will see this little girl. She's now a year and a half old, this little girl. 
And she would constantly spend time and try to arrange appointments and times to gather to meet and play together, the first birthday and all that jazz. And here's what Alexis told me about two weeks ago. This is where it brings me to this point. Uh, it was a, it, to see the adoption process through the birth mom's eyes is very illuminating to me. We'd never been part of that before. As a birth mom, when she sees this little girl of hers that she gave birth to, that physically came from her body, that carries her DNA, she looks at that little girl and she wants to just love her and hug her and squeeze her and not let her go. It's so hard. She said, it's so hard for me to see her. and I love her so much. But this little girl looks at her, seeing her once a month, once every two or three months. And to her, Alexis is a stranger. She's someone that I should be concerned about or fear or be shy around or not sure who you are. And you don't tell a little six-month-old, you know, I'm your birth mother. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to her. She doesn't know who she is. And so there's this frustration factor of loving so much this one that came from her own womb and that this one who came from her womb not responding in like manner of love and embracing. And as Lexa shared that to me, I said, it was an eye-opener for me. And it helped me to kind of a little bit enter into her life. And I said, Alexis, as you share that with me, what thing that hits me is this. That's something of what the Father in heaven feels for us. The Father gives birth to us. The Father makes us His child. The Father gives us life. We come from His heavenly DNA through Christ for new birth and new life. And there's so much of the Father that says, I want to love you, I want to embrace you, I want to hold you, you are mine. And so many times I will look at the Father and say, Father, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you're up to, you're frustrating me, I'm fearful of you, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do, I'm hesitant, I'm resistant, I'm rebellious. I said, Alexis, that's kind of how the Father feels. That he just wants a return on the love, but we don't give it because we don't know him well enough to fully embrace and trust him. Especially when we're going through an uncertain time. And there's so much in my heart that as I've grown in my faith, early on I would, Lord, I'm not sure. Well, I act shy, I act resistant, I want to run from him. And, And people we work with, that's how they will feel about the Father as well. Until we get to know that the Father has our best interest in heart. And I said, you know, for Alexis, it will take years for your little birth baby to begin to understand who you are and how much you love her. And so the Father says, give me time. I love you dearly and desperately have died that you be holy and blameless and that I embrace you fully. And so that's Spiritual blessing number one, He chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? Because He wants to do the best thing that could ever happen to us to shape us into the image of Christ in holiness and blameless living. That's a beautiful gift. 
So we say good things to the Father, but not only that, He predestines us. In verse 5, the second blessing that He's already given to us is and says it this way. Paul writes, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Predestination is not something you throw around. I don't see it on Facebook very often. It's not a concept that we think about too much. But here's what the Father has done for you and for me and why Paul says, bless Him, eulogize Him, say good things about Him. The word predestination is made up of two words. It's proharizo, pro meaning beforehand, harizo uh, meaning to mark out. We get the English word horizon from it. And so what God has done is He's proharizoed us. He's marked out ahead who we are and how we are to be followers of His. He's predestined us. The word proharizo is used by an architect. Uh, we had Tom Matlock that drew up our student center in the basement of what used to be the nursery and the subterranean floor over there in one of our buildings. And this is what Tom drew up. He drew up an architectural rendering of what that room was going to look like. And in some ways, I could say this is a proharizo of our student center. It is a good thing to know in advance where a wall should go before you start building it, Right? It's a good thing to know in advance where the plumbing should go before you start digging the holes. It's just a good thing to know these are the boundary lines of what we need to keep in mind so that we can have a structure that's going to be fleshed out and lived in and ministry takes place in our students' lives. So God says, you know, I have proharizoed or predestined each of us with the lines drawn of who we are and how we should live and who Christ is in us and how he wants us to flesh out that new life of his child. That's what he does for us. God has chosen us. God has predestined us so that he can adopt us into his family. That's what it's all about. That's what he's telling us in verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Now, if you go to Ephesus today, you will see ruins like this one. This is what they call the Agora. This is the shopping center. This is the south coast plaza of the day in Ephesus. That's where they would gather for the marketplace. One of the things that happened in Ephesus in those days, someone wrote a book on how to know whether you keep your child or let go of your child. One of the things that the Ephesians would do, having given birth, is that they would try to determine whether that baby is a baby that they should keep. And there were some parents, believe it or not, that would actually take those babies and leave them by the side of the road to die. Or others' parents would bring their babies and put them right here in the Agora, in the marketplace, and leave it there to die. And one of the great things that happens in the Ephesians, of the city of Ephesus, that it was the Christians that would come along, and they would find these abandoned babies, and these Christians would adopt that baby to become part of their family. So when Paul speaks to them and says, God has adopted you, it means a whole lot more to a lot of those Ephesians to say, yeah... We've done that. We went to the marketplace. We found this abandoned baby. We took that baby into our home. And we're going to rear that baby as if it is ours. Paul then later writes in Ephesians 4. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there. That means a lot more in the Ephesians' mind than maybe to us. 
Because they've seen these babies tossed here and there. And now he's saying, I want that child to be yours. And the beauty of that spiritual realm is that God sees us in that abandoned state of the marketplace of this world. And he says, I see you there. And I've chosen you. And I want to adopt you to become part of my family. Our Father predestined us through Jesus Christ according to the will of God that we would become his children. Romans writes it this way. Our spiritual journey of growth. Paul writes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. He chose us to conform us, to rear us, that we become something of the holy and the blameless nature of Jesus. So that he would be the firstborn among the children. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a spiritual journey of predestination, calling, justifying, glorifying. And he doesn't lose anybody along the way. I have predestined, perizzoed you. I've drawn the outline of your life and all that you're going to be someday. Before the foundation of the world. And ultimately you will be glorified in heaven. And along that journey... No one's left behind. And that's God's journey for us once we become adopted into his family. I'm going to invite to help us to understand this just a little bit better. Jason and Aaron to come on up here. They've been on a spiritual journey in a very dramatic and meaningful way that uh, if you haven't heard, it's good for us to hear about here today. Because you see on the screen here, there is their family and their little kids. And uh, we're happy for you. And God bless you to have uh, four precious children in your home. Keeps it lively and busy, I'm sure. Totally. Yeah. Four is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. And uh, one of the beautiful things is, of course, you've adopted two, but lately you just adopted little Ben. Yes. Now, Ben came from South Africa, and so he's coming from a different culture, different language. And uh, just help us to understand, how did you, what motivated you to go to South Africa and choose Ben? Uh, I've been involved with Acres of Love for about eight years. Um, Acres of Love provides orphan care in South Africa. And over the course of those years, I realized that while we have a little over three million people living here in Orange County, there are between three and five million kids in South Africa who are orphaned. And that really hit home with me, especially once I started falling in love with specific kids. It's no longer a number, right? It turns into a face and then a friend and then people that you just adore. So for me, God really moved in my heart to want to open our family again through adoption. And so it became something that Jason and I talked about for a long time. Yeah. And I'm getting the sense that maybe Jason wasn't on board quite as quickly as you were, Aaron. So maybe maybe not. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, it took a little bit of time. I didn't have the same heart. And at the same time, um, because this was something that Aaron cared about, it's something that we brought before God and started praying about, and um, you know, I should say too that this is our second adoption we're talking about, right? So I, I we had already sort of gone through this, and I had sort of thought, okay, we we, we ticked that box and we're good. Um, this time, this really felt like a movement of God in my heart that, just like you're talking about today, this is my story. God has adopted me, and coming to the place where I could really own that, and I'm still figuring out what it means to own that, I couldn't 
not do this anymore. Mm -hmm. We had to, you know, adopt our little boy. Yeah. So you chose Ben. I mean, the, the thing that strikes me is that Ben did not speak English. No. Different culture, orphanage, four-year-old, and family, everything is so different. Mm -hmm. How has that been as far as bringing him now into your family here? Just, just this last year, right? Yeah. yeah, March, we got back to the U.S. It's been an adventure. He is an amazing little boy. We are so in love with him, and he has been so flexible and observant and a quick learner because it's not just, you know, there's the higher level of he lived in an orphanage with a lot of other kids for years, and so there's this sense of, you know, teaching him what a family means, not just with our words, because there's the language barrier, but also, you know, every day throughout our actions. But, you know, simple things like seat belts and escalators and shopping carts and um, forks are all things that were so new to him six months ago. And he is just um, he's learned so fast what it means to, you know, live in an American family. And then they're also you know, we're trying really hard to also encourage him to celebrate parts of his culture as well and not lose sure. all of those. But oh, that's good. And you're talking about when he went to get the visa. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we went to a visa appointment a week after he came away with us from the children's village. And he spoke zero English when we met him. And um, he even told the caregivers the following day after we had just met him that he only spoke English now, but he said it in Zulu. But when we went to the visa appointment, we were really struggling because we were in a different part of the country. Nobody spoke Zulu there. And we had to try to explain to this four-year-old four little boy why he was getting all of these shots that were required for him to then reenter into the U.S. And so it was this moment where we were so sad and he was so sad and we were trying to communicate that we loved him and that it had a good outcome, right? These needles that were going into his arms, yeah. but it was... Definitely a challenge. Right. How about you, Jason? You are now thinking differently about it from the original plan. Yeah. So um, Aaron mentioned this children's village. I think on the kind of spectrum of how orphanages can go, this one was pretty great. And he, you know, our our little boy was really well loved and had a lot of care. And but he got most of that care from from women. And so the idea that he was coming into our family and I was a dad. Hmm. This is a new thing for him, not really knowing how to relate to men and having to figure out what it means to be the son of a dad was a major adjustment for him. Hmm. To, and it looked like I, I would never be able to put him to bed hmm. or kind of some of the stuff that Aaron had to really shoulder a lot of the kind of the work of, of bringing him into our family because he was drawn more to her. Mm -hmm. And so, and that was hard for me too, honestly. I mean, I, I wanted to be able to engage with him and, and there was a barrier. And so we're, we're doing very well now, but it's been a process. And yeah. I would say the first couple months together, it was hard and we had to sort of figure that out. And, um, but it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's a lifetime commitment. It wasn't like a kind of a neat idea. Let's try it out for a while. I mean, Ben is yours for the rest of your lives and the rest of his life. And I want to say congratulations to you. I think that uh, we see in you, I know it, it, there's a lot more to the story. There's the challenge of everything and the cost and everything. But God bless you that you went there to South Africa. You chose Ben. You didn't know Ben before that day, I suspect. No, he was a total stranger. Total stranger. But you chose him. You have given to him the best gift that anybody could ever give to anybody in the history of mankind. And that is a life in your home 
with a dad and a mom, siblings, Christian family, opportunities to know Jesus, to grow up to be a godly young man, and someday be with us in heaven. There's no greater gift than that. Thank you for your sacrifice, your commitment. And thanks, Jason, for getting on board. Uh, so that that could be part of that gift to little Ben. So we've God bless you. Yes, we thank you very much. I hope you can see some spiritual parallels there. I was just thinking about that when she, uh, Aaron speak, spoke of the visa and the shots. Why did I have to have all this pain in my arms? I don't get that. What that's all about. Sometimes the Father allows pain in our lives. And we don't know, why is this pain here? What are you doing? I don't understand this. What we don't see is what He sees and knows as to the outcome of how much better our lives will be. Sometimes the Father places us in families and we don't understand each other. We don't understand what the Father's doing. We're resistant. It's a brand new experience for us. And understand as people come to faith in Christ, it's a brand new journey and a brand new family with a brand new relationship and new language, new rules, new ways to live. But it's all for the better. As we begin to understand the Father's deep love for us, that He has chosen us, He has predestined us so that we can become the holiness of Christ. And that's our Father in Heaven who has adopted us, who believe in Jesus as our Savior. Now, we've got something I want you to do. Because it's always better together. One of the great things that God gives to us are the spiritual blessings of becoming His family and, and enjoying His life that He has given to us. On the bottom side of the outline, I have a question. What is the most blessed gift your Father has given you? And frankly, how can you share that with others? I want you to spend some time, hopefully many of you still have your name tags on, and if you don't have a name tag on, will you say your name to those sitting near you? You may have to get up and move somewhere to get close to them, but I want to invite you to spend the next three minutes talking about what's the most blessed gift that God has given or done for you. It could be your salvation, it could be your health, it could be many things how God has been working, and say good things about the Father in heaven for that. So would you discuss that with your neighbor, and then I'll come back up in three minutes. All right, thank you for your sharing together. You can continue the conversation after we conclude our service here this morning. We encourage you to do that. I hate to shut down conversations. I know you're not listening to me. That's okay. I'm not personally offended. One of the reasons that uh, Jesus calls us, the Father calls us to say good things about Him, it says there in verse 6, to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. To the praise and the glory of God. He wants us to praise and worship Him. We're going to worship Him now. Give praise to the Father as we worship now. And tell Him how good He is. Even sometimes when we get the shots of pain that we don't like, But the Father is still doing what is best for us to conform us to be like Jesus, to be holy and blameless. Man, for me to think that I'm blameless, that's a gift. It's hard for me to see myself that way. But that's what he wants to do for us. As a worshiper, we have the communion, the bread, the cup. They symbolize the blood and body of Jesus. It's our way to say, yes, Father, thank you for what you've done. The offering to give to him and uh, allow him to... Uh, use that for ministry purposes here and around the world. So let me pray as the band comes up and we worship and give praise to Jesus.
Father, thank you for your work in each of our lives. We're each unique creations of yours. Father, you have blessed us with many spiritual blessings. God, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for predestining us, which is so hard for me to understand. But that, God, that you have my life in your mighty hands to control, to guide, to empower, to care for, to protect, to lead to the day of glory. Father, thank you. We say good things about you now. In Jesus' name, amen.